It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. A healthier, happier life begins here. Welcome to Mercy Moments. A podcast by Mercy Health in association with True Chat. 365,000 cardiac arrests happen annually, resulting in a 90% fatality rate per the American Heart Association. And out of that, 70% of those happen in the home. So obviously, this is a very important topic. And uh, since this is also American Heart Month, I have two experts on the program today to discuss the issue. My first guest is Chief Dean Ortlub, who is Chief of the Urbana Fire Division. Welcome, Chief. Thank you for having me, Terry. I also have Gary White, Supervisor of Cardiopulmonary Services at Mercy Health Urbana Hospital. Welcome, Gary. My pleasure to be here. So guys, um, this is a really interesting topic. I, I didn't realize myself how far back CPR actually went. Um, apparently, it goes all the way back to the 17th century. And and Gary, could you talk about that a little bit? Well, we've come a long way from the 17th century. Back then, CPR was rolling somebody over a barrel or or uh, picking them up by their feet, right? And right. hoping that picking them up and down and would would uh, bring them to or taking a bellows and putting it in their mouth and pressing it to help them breathe. We, we've come a long way from there. So what was the main reason for CPR back in the day? What was the original reason for CPR? Well, I would say it was just if they would have someone that, that was looked dead, this was a way that they right. found that, that, that they could revive right. these people. But when I started, when I can only look at it at the point where I've started, and we're talking, we're talking 1979 uh, in the U.S. Navy, Hospital Corman School was my first time with CPR. Right. Um, back at that point, they knew the significance of, of what chest compressions and what breathing was going to do. Right. But even from 1979, we've come uh, a long way. Didn't you say that the, um, the compression rates and all that were drastically different back in the day compared to what they are now? Well, I think when I started, it was... Um, five compressions to to one breath and then i think we went from five compressions to two then you got into the however many uh, people were doing the cpr and now we're doing 15 compressions to two breaths right and there's reasons behind that um they found out that it takes longer or it takes time to do compressions when to get the heart at a point where it will actually uh, fill and 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 work. Is Matt explaining that? Yeah, you're doing fine. Okay, yeah. and so it takes those 15 compressions to actually actually uh, be effective. Right, right. So how's hands-on CPR play into that though? Because what we're talking about so far is just compressions and, and not more in-depth CPR. Terry, I think I help you with that. And I'd like to tell you a little story because I think it will will really tie into why hands-on. So I go back uh, very similar to Gary. I started in the, the early 80s, and I started as a volunteer firefighter. 
And uh, before I had the EMS training, one of the first trainings I had was CPR. And so being a volunteer, you would get toned out or you'd hear a siren and then you would uh, go to the run. And this run just happened to be someone's uh, heart had stopped and actually fell in the street. Right. And I was the first one there and nobody else came. And uh, so I did what I was trained to do through the CPR and uh, doing the hands-on and also what was mouth-to-mouth with that end of it there. And it, it, it had a positive outcome. So it really gigged me in wanting to help people. I, I seen it that early thing and all the medical training I've had since then, I've never forgot how a life-saving event it is to do CPR. Right. So hands-on, what it basically is, is what we're saying is one of the most important components is let's get on this person's chest and let's compress that chest, which takes that blood that's in the heart and moves it out throughout the right, body. Right. And so what this does is this actually allows that person, it sustains that person uh, to be in more viable uh, as we get into the next stage of either EMS coming or something along the, that line. Right. So I guess the, the the main point is here is is do something, you know, do some Absolutely. type of compression. Yeah. Right. And, and Terry, I, I, I think that's a very powerful statement that you say because I, I totally agree with that. And I, I'm really passionate about anybody can do this. And so uh, I started right after that. I went to CPR instructor school, BLS school, to become an instructor. And so I've taught thousands of people uh, right. to do the CPR. And why do I do that? Because it is one of the most easiest life-saving events that we can do uh, with just minimal amount of training. I can tell you in a couple minutes, I can show you how to do hands-only CPR, and now you have a chance to save a life. Right. And that that is such a big deal if you think about it. You have the power in your hands to save a life. Well, hands-on just gives us another tool in our toolbox. Well, well, the question is, though, you know, why is it important? I've worked at the hospital for over 30 years. Right. Okay, so I've had my share of cardiac arrests come in through the ED department that I have been a part of, okay? The majority of them happen outside of the hospital. They don't have it in the hospital where we know our ACLS and our other advanced ways of, of saving lives. Right. It happens outside. That's a good point. It happens at a person's employment. It happens at a farm. It, you know, it could be in the barn. It could be walking the path, uh, at the bike path at the, at the park. Um, 70% of the time, I'm going to throw a statistic out here, 70% of the time it happens in a home. And if somebody in that home, besides the person that's having the cardiac uh, arrest, knows CPR, then the chances of survival for that person increases. For every one minute delay in CPR, your chances decrease by 10% that you're going to survive. We had a conversation earlier. Um, go through what, how long it takes to get an EMS to get to the hospital. So when, when you would call 911, now the one thing I will tell you is we're going to have dispatchers that are going to walk you through how to do hands-on only CPR, okay? But when you do that, we just don't immediately show up at your door. So it takes a little bit of time. Usually on average, it takes about a minute to realize that we do need to call 911. And then it also takes a another minute for them to get that information. It takes a couple minutes to get to the fire 
uh, vehicles. If it's a volunteer organization, they got to leave their home. They've got to drive to the firehouse and then get in their vehicle. And then depending what your location is from the, the firehouse, it's going to take a few minutes to get there. So what we're looking at doing with the hands only CPR, or even if you want to go to the next up where you're actually doing the BLS end of it right, and doing right. the, you know, the chest compressions and the, the breathing for them is what we're trying to do is making this a viable patient. So what Gary said earlier was that for every minute, you start to have a 10% less of a chance for survival. That can extend that survival rate by just doing the c- compressions. Right. And I think probably for me, one of the bigger things is, is how big a deal of what has actually happened. Okay. If you think about it, uh, our heart beats between 60 and 100 times a minute. And if you just started doing a little bit of math and you said, boy, if that's just in a minute and in an hour, that's thousands of times. And even in a day, you know, and now we take this a lifetime, your heart actually beats on its own without nobody's help right. with internally, you know, millions and millions of times. It never so, takes a day off. No. And so it's such a big deal when this heart stops. And so a pretty significant event happens. And so to have that person to have any chance at all, we need to try to get involved and, and, and be trying to do those hands-on CPR as quickly as possible. Right. That's for the best outcome. And you brought up a good point too, yep. Chief, is the worst thing in the world that could happen is if nobody was around yeah. when you go into Absolutely. cardiac arrest. Yeah. So, Yeah, it is. And so it's, 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 it's a very difficult thing. So remember what I said, so our heart works on its own and does a really excellent job. So it is a big event that causes it not to, to work. So not everybody comes back, okay? So, uh, and to to your point here, if nobody's there, they're not going to come back, right. okay? But but if they have a chance to come back, it's going to improve if you do something. Gary, you were talking earlier about how there's changes from time to time. Can you explain that a little bit? Well, you're talking about American Heart Association. Yeah, yeah, yeah they— it goes through changes about every five years, and they have um, board that uh, that yeah. they so go by. It's go it's actually called ECC guidelines, right? Okay, and so that's a national guideline. So it's it's no matter what organization you would learn CPR for from, they're go go off of ECC guidelines. And why that's a uh, again, this is such a big deal is so. Uh, I may have learned uh, from Red Cross and Gary learned from American Art, but we learned the same thing. Right. So the other thing that's just as important, and Terry, we were just talking about this uh, before we came on, was that after two minutes, studies have found that our, our compression rate actually goes down by half, meaning right. that we're as half as efficient. So this is not just a one-person thing. The more people we we have learned this, we start to rotate through. And in EMS, that's exactly what we do. That's what they do in the ER is we actually have a timer and every two minutes we, we are rotating people in to stay up at the highest efficiency. And that's what most areas are trying to do, form societies or communities where we can kind of help help support it. Getting back to the just the hands-on, you know, why that why that is important is, I mean, I used to teach BLS as well. And some of the common questions that I get back there, you know, um, when, when teaching, you probably still get this today, the first thing is the mouth-to-mouth. I mean, right. they go, I don't want to do yeah. that, you know. Right. The second thing is um, – what if I do something wrong? What if I break a rib? You know, what if I injure the person? Well, they don't have a heartbeat. 
you're not going to injure them any more than that. Right. We can deal with that once we get them back. And, the, and there's a thing that goes along with that. It's called the Good Samaritan Law. Correct. That goes along with that there. And so uh, absolutely someone can sue you. They can sue you for anything or they go win. No. And so if you look at like the legislature and everybody that, that would enact this, they want people to help. So they're going to be on your side. So I have never heard of a case, and I don't think you have I don't any ever, no. that anybody has, has had. Now, with that being said, you got to do what you was thought was trained to do. That doesn't mean that you've seen something on TV and said, I'm going, oh, look, I can do open heart cardiac massage. No, <laughs> that's not what that means. It means try to do what you think is right, and you're going to have the fire department, the legislature, the judicial system, right. all of them are go back. Yeah. Everybody knew there's a trade-off there. I mean, yeah. you want more community involvement. That's what hands-on CPR is all about. And we just have to live with the other part. So yeah, You're right. And well, it, go ahead, Gary. The hands-on CPR is, well, take what I said, the mouth-to-mouth, okay? A lot of mm-hmm. people go, ooh, I don't want to do that, okay? Hands-on only. Right. You don't do mouth-to-mouth. Right, right. It's just getting on the compressions and doing those compressions and keep doing those compressions until other help comes to you. Right. Um, and we were talking about this earlier. You know, it's it's a known fact that chest compressions, when you do chest compressions, you're getting that movement of the lungs along with the pumping of the heart that you're actually getting some air exchange uh, taking place. So, again, it comes back to... Doing something is better than doing nothing. And it's contagious, actually. So, uh, you know, I've uh, someone that uh, has had one of my class goes back to the church and said, hey, this is pretty cool and pretty easy. And next thing you know, it we're teaching a church. Uh, we're actually teaching uh, schools. Everybody uh, wants to get involved and help. And it's it's a lot more than just compressions, too. It's thinking it through. It's like saying, is there a clear pathway for EMS to come? You know, is uh, do we need a waiver outside because we're out in the back and they may not see us? You know, all these, as crazy as it sounds, these seconds, and that's what we're talking about is seconds. Right. Can be the difference between life and death. And that's and so it's not just the compression is very important, but it's also recognizing that there's other factors. And, and, and in the ECC guidelines, they call this the chain of survival. Correct. Well, gentlemen, I think that pretty much sums up the first half of our of our episode, um, I'd like to take a break here to um, to discuss TrueChat's mission, which is to educate people by providing honest, open, and respectful conversations. To learn more about Mercy Moments, find out where to listen, and to engage with your podcast, please visit mercymoments.org. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
So in segment two, what we're going to discuss is other forms of CPR, and Chief's going to describe some of the processes involved in, in cardiac arrest or cardiac arrhythmia. Chief? So thanks, Terry. So the, the big thing I want to do is, is kind of get why do we, we want to discuss this? Because what we're finding is, and especially in rural areas, is we don't have the manpower to do this whole big production of, of a, a cardiac arrest team. So we have different things that we can do that actually we have found have been pretty productive on that end of it. Uh, for us in the Urbana Fire Division, we will usually send, if everybody's on shift, up to seven people uh, to work this cardiac arrest. And so of that seven people, we have people doing all kinds of different things. They can be, they can be doing compressions. We're trying to get an airway uh, and breathe for that person. We're giving them drugs. People are getting cots and kits and everything. Uh, but what we found is, and is we may not have all those seven people. Uh, we may only have two or three. And so there are devices that are out there for us. We have what's called a Lucas and it's actually a mechanical device that does compressions for us. And it actually is more efficient than what we can do with our own hands. And so we've had a lot of good results with us. You were talking about earlier, Chief, about how you're actually brought people back to consciousness yes. while on these devices. Yeah, so they're actually, uh, and it, it, it goes, it's worth saying that how does the heart work, okay? So basically, if you think of the heart, it has this chemical reaction. And it, it, it without getting too complicated into it, it involves sodium and potassium and positive and negative ions, creates a little form of electricity. That electricity shocks the heart. What's, what happens if you've ever been shocked? You contract. That contraction pushes that blood in a closed system throughout the body. So when you sometimes, when you go into cardiac arrest, you will have your heart will just fibrillate there or just kind of quiver. And so there is no pushing of that blood. And that's where the compressions come in. And so when it comes to the Lucas, we actually strap this on that person. There's a back portion and then there's just this piston on the front end of it there. And it does compressions and it does it so well, even if that, that heart is not pumping on its own, we've brought people back to where they became conscious because the blood is so efficient productive as we're moving through uh, with the compressions, it's going throughout the body and it actually to the point that it brings someone back. So what actually, what's the mechanism, the physical mechanism that causes cardiac death though? Yeah. So there, there, that's a, there's a lot of things that can do that. So what we can do is talk a little bit about what a lot of people might have heard of. So a lot of people have heard of a heart attack. They may have heard of, but they may not know what it is. And basically in our body, we have these vessels and that's what carries the blood. Okay. And throughout time, usually we have, and you might have heard the plaque, we have these little fatty uh, items that will start to get onto the walls of the arteries. And one of those will break loose and actually clog an artery. And by clogging that artery, tissue starts to die. And so as electricity goes across tissue that, that has death uh, or is dying, what ends up happening then is it's not as efficient as if tissue is, is, is nice and healthy. So what, what the electricity of the heart gets all haywired, for lack of better words. And so that's what causes the fibrillation. So basically, a heart attack is a clot into the artery. Okay. And not allowing blood flow to go throughout. And so that's a, that's a heart attack. And so, but there's many reasons why your heart might stop, but that's one of the more common reasons. So Gary, once, once the squad brings a patient in that's been in cardiac arrest, what different types of treatment do they get while in the hospital or in a clinical setting? 
Well, if we bring them back. Right. You know, they're put, usually put on a ventilator. Or, um, well, and, and again, it depends. I mean, the rhythms that he was talking about, VTAC or VFib, I've known people that go into VTAC or VFib in the hospital and you shock them and they come right back and they're talking to you. Right. So now it's now it becomes okay. What caused this? What can we do to prevent this from happening? Um, and that's when you get into your to to not have a heart attack. The best thing a person can do is know their history, right? Know their family history, know what their history is, um, and be honest about diet, it, and be honest about it. That those, so that plaque buildup that that he was talking about doesn't transpire as quickly. So we'll look at that if they come back. But I'll, I'll, truth is, a lot of them don't come back. So how, how has the AEDs played into that, though, and, and helped? The, yeah, the- so so and, ju- and just before the AEDs, because I think Gary made an excellent point here. And so usually when you look at what, what Gary talked about, what's important, you have an environmental factor and then you have what is what's a genetic factor. And why that's a big deal is you're going to know about both those. So from a genetic fa- factor, you're looking at your family history. Okay, what does your family history have? If your your uh, grandfather had a heart attack and your dad had a heart attack or and your mom had a heart attack, you're more likely right, to exactly. have a heart attack. And so environmental factors, what you eat, what you intake, if you smoke, all these factors come in that increase the chance of that heart attack. Right. Now, AEDs, let's talk a little bit about that. So we did say that when you look at the heart, it has this electrical component to it. So what an AED is, it's the very same thing as a defibrillator. It's just, it's an automatic defibrillator, okay? And so what it does is you put patches on this person's chest. It detects to see if it is a rhythm that it can shock. And if it does, it'll talk to you and say, stand back and run through a procedure. And then you push a button and it shocks. The goal is, is it creates just a flat line just for a second and allows everything to start back up again. You know, what you were saying, Chief, about about um, the likelihood of having uh, or going into cardiac arrest has a lot to do with nature and nurture. You're, you're exactly right about that. In imaging, they do a, do a, a exam called a calcium scoring. Very what, good and, exam. And what I found from reading a lot of those is that the score is actually very low or it's very high. Like yep. There's like literally no in between usually. Yep. So even if the exam was off just a little, the, the, the care path would be the same. Absolutely. Family history. I want to go back on that. I mean, a per- personal example is I have an uncle, had an uncle who died of a heart attack out of his five sons. Only one of them did not end up having a heart attack or some type of a heart event. Really? Okay. Just from that family. Now, the other factors is their smoking, uh, their diet habits. The only one that didn't paid attention to those. He knew he had a strong family history. Mm-hmm. So he stopped smoking and he started looking at the foods that he was eating and started taking care of himself, knowing that that history is there. That's the kind of things that you need to know in order to prevent it. Yeah. I mean, if you are proactive in this, there is nothing that says you have to be predestined to anything. So if there is a, some type of family history and you're proactive and so you have the right environment, you're eating the right stuff. It also a part of that is, too, is seek medical advice early. 
Okay, so there might have been some type of arrhythmia. There might have been some type of mechanical uh, abnormality. Abnormality. Thank you, Gary. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, you know, there could be all kinds of different factors why that would play in, you know. And so uh, it's, it's no secret if you are proactive about your health. Correct. And if you eat correct and you, you actually do the exercise and everything else, you have a great chance to extend your life. So what's the future of CPR? I mean, as far as gadgets and things like that that are on the horizon, I mean, we talked about two, the AED and the Lucan's device, but. Well, so I think you have a, a combination. So you have medications that can make a difference and have made it, made a difference. You have the cardiac cath lab and the STEMI alerts that have been huge in making a difference on that end of it there. Uh, and then as you look towards the future is, uh, there's different things that have worked. So we've, we've cooled people down, uh, and, and then slowly bring them back up to prevent some of the damage. So the biggest thing that they're looking at is not just the future, but mortality and morbidity. Okay. Right. So are these people able to walk out of the hospital? You know, okay. We're doing a lot better job of bringing people back. Okay. That's where it used to be. And you know, the same thing, Gary, is when, you know, 30, 40 years ago, it's a rarity to, to bring someone back. And now we're really good at that. But we're, we're still working on, is there, can we get them to walk out of the hospital? Well, I think sometimes there's still a challenge on different ways to get people involved as well. I it, mean, that's a is. big thing. The more people that can be involved in this process, the better. It, it's no I mean, secret. No. I mean, we need to get as many people learning CPR as possible and, you know, be an advocate for CPR. Get out there in the community, be an advocate, especially on social media. Yeah. I mean, be an influencer, get out there and talk about it, you know, on Twitter and things like that. And then try to form, you know, corporate partnerships with, you know, and, and get some funds so you can, you can grow it a little bit. I always say, I always say this. So, so one of my uh, favorite singers is uh, Hank Williams Sr. And uh, he has a song, you never get out of this world alive. And that's so true. That's true. You know, so, but it doesn't mean that we, that's tomorrow. And if we all are involved, we're going we're to have some, it's going to happen, whether it's at church, school, work, or just walking down the street, someone is going to collapse in front of you. Someone's heart is going to stop. Right. It's guaranteed that that's going to happen. Matter of fact, it happens 151,000 times every day, you know, on average. So this, this stuff's going to happen. And so did you say, am I going to do something or am I not going to do something? To me, the choice is easy do something. So we got a few minutes left, guys. So let's sum up by just kind of telling your most interesting story. Chief, what was your most interesting story related to cardiac arrest? Well, I think probably the the one that that I can remember is uh, I was on the medic at the time. And so we went this first time and this gal was actually having a heart attack. And so we knew that by what the EKG looked like. And so uh, we convinced, tried to convince her to go, 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 go. And she wouldn't go. She refused and she signed a, a waiver that said she did not want to go to the hospital. So we, we begged her, look, call us back if things change on that end of it. And so so we no sooner got in our vehicle, started head down the road, and she called back. And so we were taking her to the hospital, and she's talking to us, everything. And she asked me what time it was, and I said it, it just happened to be past midnight. And I said it's it's twelve o two. 
She says, my husband died on this day and she went into cardiac arrest. Wow. wow. And, and so we, luckily I already had everything on her, uh, started compressions, fired up the defibrillator, shocked her once and we brought her back, you know, but it was just, it was amazing that, you know, that event happened like that, that way. Gary, what's your most interesting story? Well, I don't, I don't think I can do a story, but I can say where I work, I get to see the other side of it for the people who has had cardiac events yeah. um, or have had cardiac caths. Um, they do what's called rehab. That's a good, that's a good point, Gary. Like how, how, you know, how, how much can you repair the heart and get it back into shape after an event like that? Well, it takes time. It takes, it takes changes in lifestyle and cardiac rehab works with that. Um, and we're beginning a new program late spring in Urbana. It's called High Impact it's exciting. Cardiac Rehab. Yeah, it's an exciting, exciting program. Exciting program. Yeah. And it's delving into, they come in and exercise, but it's going to delve into the fact that we're going to be doing more education right. during this process that we've ever been doing. Um, and that's that education. It's a lifestyle change that, that, you see these people go through and survive. That's what I like. It's real. It's really rewarding. It's real. It really is. But you were earlier. I think you wanted to talk about chain of command or the chain of command. Yeah, not chain of command. The chain. Chain of survival. Survival. Yeah, Thank so, you. So, so basically, what a chain of survival is, and this is why everybody has skin in the game on this end of it here, is we are going to. It starts with the person that recognizes that there's a problem. They're going to call 911. 911 calls the EMS agency. The EMS agency responds. They take over from the person that's doing CPR there. They start their uh, methods of trying to save this person. They take them to the ER. The ER, the cardiac team responds to them. We get the cath team involved. The cath team, uh, the, the, ER takes them to the cat team, and in some some instances, EMS passes the ER and goes straight to the cath lab, and so then it goes into on on the floor and eventually out and to their family doctor, and that's the whole chain of survival. For Mercy Moments on True Chat in Urbana, I'm Terry Sealer. I'm Chief Dean Ortlip. I'm Gary White. Thank you very much for tuning in, and we will see you again on the third Tuesday of each month. Be healthy.